Colby is handsome, he's brilliant, he is compassionate, he's built like a Greek god, <laughs> he loves Jesus, and uh, me and Mark figured since he has so much in common with us, why wouldn't we invite him, you know, to, to share. Uh, reviews are already in, Colby, from the first service. A, uh, a former friend of mine said, uh, Brock, do you know it's not good business to have someone who is more handsome than you <laughs> and who can preach better than you oh, yeah. uh, it, to invite them to, to the platform? Uh, but, Kobe, I, I've never been much of a businessman, you know? And so uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you're here, enjoyed uh, the word in the first service and looking forward to it in, in this one. Uh, Kobe has uh, preached in this place before, in a way, uh, a few years ago, he was on the same stage uh, translating for Pastor Menace um, before before Pastor Menace passed, and uh, and we're we're lucky, we are privileged today uh, to get to hear his words, uh, ultimately to hear God's words coming out of uh, your mouth. It's a gift, man. Um, many times uh, I've stood on a stage with you in Haiti, and you have introduced me uh, to your folks, and today. Uh, you're on our stage, and I get to introduce you to, uh, to my folks, and that's a great gift. I'll also say this, and then I'll sit down and shut up. Uh, Kobe's, uh, I think it's so, Kobe's dad will be preaching right now in Haiti as well. And so to me, that's a pretty cool thing. The Holy Spirit's just unleashing the Dorsleys on the world this morning, man. And so uh, it's a gift to have you here. Look forward to hearing your words. Y'all give Kobe, wel welcome Kobe to the platform. I am deeply honored and, and humbled to be here. As I shared in the first service, it's, the whole journey is it's, it's hard to believe. And I, and I remember meeting Pastor Mark and Pastor Brock in Haiti just a few years ago. And just the transition uh, moving here, it's, it's just been amazing. Uh, and, and I'm deeply honored, like I said, and just humbled and privileged uh, to be here with you guys. And, um, and Chennai and I were... We want to extend our gratitude um, to you guys, to each one of you personally, who have reached out to us and helped us in this time of transition. Um, and I remember a few, a few months ago, not just two months ago, uh, I was part of the Join the Journey meeting, and I was reading the values of the church, and, and I've got some here that, that I wrote, we will make much of Jesus. We will value the growth of the kingdom more than the growth of our church. We will go ourselves, not just give our money. Uh, we will be a church marked by extravagant generosity. And I remember reading those values, and I, and I told Shane that these aren't just words. These are fundamentally embedded into the very fabric of the church. These are daily practices of, of Whitestone. And so it's such a privilege and honor um, for me to be here with you guys, and thank you so much uh, for having me. So over the next uh, few minutes, I will just share a little bit about my story uh, with you, and I will just, just share some scriptures uh, with you guys. But before I do that, I've got two confessions to make. So the first one is when Pastor Mark and Pastor Brock called me last month and asked me to preach, uh, I got really excited because up to that point, I had been talking to them. I'd been telling them how... I couldn't wait for such an opportunity. I, I want to get up. I, I want to start sharing and start speaking. 
So I got so excited, but shortly after we got off the phone, I began to doubt myself. I began to ask, do you really have what it takes to do this? Because this is not translating a sermon. This is you sharing with, with people. Do you have what it takes? So I, so I started questioning my ability to do this. I even told Shana, I told her, I don't think I have what it takes. I don't think I can do this. And I got to the point where I was even tempted to call them and be like, guys, I'm, I'm okay with leading a Bible study. I'm okay with, with leading a small group, but I don't think I can do this. Uh, and so the confession is that I've gone through a lot of self-doubt over these past couple of weeks. And the second confession is, is sort of related to the first one, and it is that I'm not sure if you haven't noticed, but I'm extremely nervous right now. So if I start shaking up here, uh, bear with me. Or if I start speaking in tongue, uh, that means if I switch to Haitian Creole. Uh, so a number of you guys speak Haitian Creole in the room, so please stand up and translate uh, so I don't cause chaos here in the house of God, okay? <laughs> so let's pray with me. Heavenly Father, we welcome you in this place. We'll give you glory and honor in this place, God. Father, you promised that wherever two or three of us would gather in your name, you'd be present. And Father, we, we honor your presence here in this place. And I pray that you rid me of myself, that you fill me up and speak through me, that you stir and incline hearts to you today, and that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name. Um, I was born and raised in Haiti. I grew up in a loving Christian family in Haiti. My father was a deacon and later went to seminary and became a pastor. Uh, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, she would wake up at 4 in the morning every day, um, often without an alarm clock. And so she'd wake up and make sure that we were up, that we would memorize our school materials. The educational system in Haiti, is, uh, there's a lot of memorization involved. So she would make sure that we would memorize our school, uh, school materials, that we were ready to go to school every day. So I grew up waking up at 4 in the morning uh, because of my mom. Uh, my parents loved to pray. I remember my mom and dad very early on, they'd lay ha hands on us and, and pray for us. And so I grew up in a very loving home, uh, loved by my parents, well-respected by my community. I was going to school. I was doing well. I was bringing home good grades, made my parents proud. Uh, I had many friends. I'd, I was just a normal kid. I'd go out with my friends, play soccer in the rain, play marbles, and just do what kids were, were doing. Uh, but growing up in Haiti wasn't always easy. If you've been to Haiti or if you know of Haiti, uh, you know that it's a beautiful country, but it's characterized by ongoing political instability, by economic privation, high rates of unemployment, illiteracy. And as I grew up, I began to think about my future in this country. I, I began to ask myself, am I really going to be successful here? Because success to me at the time meant meeting all of the diverse societal expectations that were placed on me or even imposed on me. I, I wanted to, needed to graduate from high school. Some of the expectations, you've got to go to college, you've got to graduate. Uh, get a good, high-paying job, get married, have kids. And I'm like, 
am I really going to make it? That was success to me. Am I really going to make it in this country? And one day, I was probably 11 or, or 10 or 11, my dad told me, Colby, when you graduate high school, you will have the opportunity to travel overseas and attend college. And I remember asking him, but dad, how is that going to be possible though? Because you don't even have a visa. Don't you need some sort of document you know, to, to travel and all that? And he would look at me and he'd say, we live by faith. And so uh, I, I had no doubt that at that point that my dad was referring to one of those countries that we would see on TV, the United States of America, the land of opportunity, or somewhere in Europe. Uh, and so, but I asked my dad, how is that going to be possible? So we live by faith was the phrase that I would repeatedly hear from my dad. And, and he would say one thing to us. He would gather us as kids and my mom, and he'd say, hey, guys, we live in the mass. This is word-for-word -word translation here. We live in the mass, but we're not the mass. And, and I didn't know what that meant. But now I know that he wasn't telling me, hey, you're superior to your friends. It wasn't that. It was just like, you live here, but don't identify yourself with the community you live in. Because somehow, I feel like God is calling you to something higher, that you're special. So I grew up believing that I was special, not just because my dad told me so. And as a normal kid, like I said, I would go out, play soccer with my friends, play marbles, just hang out, get in trouble, get spanked by my parents. But strangely enough, though, every now and then, I would retreat and sneak into my dad's seminary books. I'd retreat and sneak into some of his Bibles and Bible commentaries, and I would read some of the stories in the Bible, the story of David, of Jacob, of Samson. I, I remember just being so fascinated. I would read, get fascinated, get back to it. I would return over and over again to those books because there wasn't much TV in Haiti. We didn't have electricity 24-7. So those guys in the Bible were my superheroes. That's what I thought. I mean, if I wanted to be inspired, I would go and read some of the stories and feel inspired. And I, and I even wanted to be one of those guys. I wanted to be one of those guys, make my life count for something. And on June 14th, 2009, I was 16, turning 17 the next day. I was in my parents' bedroom, probably after messing around with my dad's books. And I remember just thinking about my life, all the decisions, the choices that I had made so far. I'm thinking, I'm doing really well in school. My parents are proud. I've got many friends. Uh, I'm respected in this community. I, I've got everything I need. But I remember just feeling so unsatisfied. There was something in me that was like, there's more to this. There's more to just going to school, doing well in school, going to church, praying, being a good kid. There's just more to this. I remember feeling unsatisfied and so incomplete. I remember thinking, God, what is it that you created me for? Because I, I believe if you created me, then you must have created me for a purpose. I don't believe you're a God who creates accidentally. I believe that you created me for something. And so I'm begging you, to reveal to me the purpose for which you created me. And I started thinking about it, and with tears rolling down my face, I prayed that God would reveal to me his purpose for my life because I, I wasn't quite happy. I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't fulfilled. I wanted to live my life for something that matters. I wanted my life to count for something. So I'm thinking, well, 
I'm 16, turning 17 tomorrow. I'll probably die when I'm 70 or 80 years old if nothing tragic happens. And I'm thinking if I will die at 70 or 80 years old, that means that I've got about 50 to 60 more years to live. And I remember thinking, that's not much time. And if you're 40, you're 50 and 60, 70 in the room, do not listen to me. You've got your whole life ahead of you. That, that, that is not, that's not what I'm saying. But I remember thinking, that is not much time. If I'm here for another 50 or 60 years, I don't want to blow it. I want to live it for something that matters. I want it to, la- to count for something. And as a 16, 17-year-old boy, I'm, I'm crying out to God, please reveal to me your purpose for my life because I don't want to live this way. I want my life to count for something. And a few months after that, on January 12, 2010, Haiti was struck by a massive 7.3 magnitude earthquake, which killed more than 220,000 people. And that day, my family and I, we were were living in a two-story house, and my mom and dad and siblings were upstairs uh, hanging out, watching TV or whatever. And, and, and I was downstairs. I, I got thirsty. Uh, like, let me go upstairs and get something to drink. So as I'm walking up the stairs, I, I feel like there's something strange was, was approaching me. And it wasn't pleasant. It was, and as it gradually approaches me, it gets more and more violent. And all of a sudden, all I know is that I'm being thrown against the walls. I'm up and down. I don't know what's going on. The whole house is shaking with me. And I'm still trying to get to my family. And when I finally made it upstairs, my mom and dad and siblings are flying out of the house. And I remember thinking, while the house was shaking, this is the end of the world. We're all going to die here. So I'm panicking. The whole thing lasted about 28 seconds, but it felt like forever. That was the longest 28 seconds of my life when the whole world, you feel like, is shaking with you so violently. You lose all control. And when it was over, I didn't even know the gravity, the extent of what happened until days later we started walking down the street. We're seeing dead bodies. We're seeing the devastation I'm looking at my siblings' faces, little siblings, the sense of hopelessness. This is the end of the world. We're all going to die. And, of course, famine quickly followed. My father was a hardworking man. He would provide. But when all our resources were gone, we began to feel some of that hunger. Every time we'd eat, we were uncertain about where our next meal was going to come from. And one day, my, my dad and I were just hanging out. My siblings were there, and, and his phone rang. So he picked up his phone, and somebody started speaking a strange language to him, English. And, and it was Pastor Jerry from Indiana. Some of you guys have met Pastor Jerry. So he hands me the phone because he, he doesn't speak English. So I picked up the phone, and I introduced myself. And Pastor Jerry said, well, we... We're aware of what's going on in Haiti right now. And we'd like to sponsor you and, and your dad and his ministry. And so for the following couple of weeks, he was sending us money. So we were able to go through uh, those following couple of weeks. And soon after that, I met Brian Lloyd from Whitestone. And he came to my dad's church. 
uh, one day, one Sunday, and he preached. I got to translate for him. And in March 2010, I believe, he brought down to Haiti Todd Stewart and his wife, Christy. And, and I began to build a relationship with Todd. And in April or May, before he returned to Haiti, he called me. He said, I'd like to share something with you. Of course, we're going to hire you as a translator. And I'd like to share something with you when I come down. So he came down, hired me as a translator. Uh, we were doing well again at that point. I was making a little money. And he told me, would your parents let you travel? Because we would like to, to, to sponsor you. I know you're about to graduate high school, but if your parents would let you travel, we could help you attend college in America. I remember just looking at him completely overwhelmed. What is this guy talking about? I mean, he's inviting me into the U.S. to go to college. And all these memories that my dad and what my dad would tell me when I was little, that God would provide, that he would open door to that opportunity, it would just come back to me. I went back home, I told my family, and we were just overwhelmed. And I saw the faithfulness of God like I've never experienced it before. And in 2011, we worked on all the visa paperwork. And in 2012, I moved here, went to Mississippi State for two years, lived with an amazing, gracious family, the bishops, and went to UT, the University of Tennessee, graduated with my bachelor's. And shortly after, I met my wife, uh, who's here. And uh, we moved, I moved to Haiti, served with Compassion International for a year, and moved back here just a few months ago. And we're just, just the whole story, the whole journey uh, has been just amazing uh, for me to watch. But the whole time, though, that I was in college here, those, all those years, I was still struggling with my purpose. I knew that I wanted to return to Haiti, that I wanted to serve, that I wanted to help with church planning or do whatever I thought I was supposed to do, but I was still struggling with the idea of my purpose. I didn't know what I was here, what I was created to do. And so I continued to search. I continued to listen to different sermons, listen to different people, begging God, seeking for my purpose, because if I... I'm only here for just another few years, a couple of decades. I want to make it count for something. I want my life to count for something. So I'm still looking. I'm still searching. And I believe that there are two fundamental questions that each of us here must find the answers to if we're going to be fulfilled, if we're going to feel satisfied, if we're going to live the lives that God has created us to live. And not only was I uncertain about the purpose of my life, I also didn't know who I was. I was confused about my identity. I was still searching. And so I'd like for you to look with me here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It reads, so God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So there's a couple of things here. God created mankind. God created me. I wasn't created by accident. The supreme being of the universe created me, so I believe if he created me, he created me for something, for a specific purpose. And not only did he create me, he created me in his own image. 
God created us in his own image. That, makes, that renders each of us here intrinsically valuable. We were created in the very image of the supreme being of the universe, of the creator of the ends of the earth. And so that defines my identity. Now I know who I am, that, I, that God created me and he created me in his own image. That makes me feel special. That's enough to overwhelm me. That's enough to just blow me away. The fact that God would distinctively create me in his own image. But it doesn't end here, though. The Bible says if you believe in Jesus, if you have put your trust in him, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, you're saved, and then you have become a son and a daughter. Not only were you created by God in his own image, not only was I created by him in his own image, but if I put my trust in Jesus through Jesus Christ, he calls me now son. I am part of God's family. That completes my identity, that I'm God's creation, but I was also bought with a price. I'm part of his family, co-heir of Jesus Christ. Look with me in Galatians 3, 26. So in Christ Jesus, 26, 27, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So now I know that I'm not only God's creation here. This makes me feel special. This brings me value. But I'm also his son. In John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So that's our identity. We were created in the image of God. And if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, if we believe that he died for our sins, he rose again, then he has called us into his family. We have become sons and daughters of the living God, of the supreme being of the universe, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We are sons and daughters in Christ. So in light of our identity now, what is our purpose? That was the question I wrestled the most with. I wanted to know why I was here. Because if I, I believe that if I, if I knew why I was here, then I would commit myself, I would unreservedly commit my whole life to my purpose. So I wanted to know, why am I here, God? Why did you create me? What am I supposed to do with those following 50, 60 years of my life? What do you want me to do? Because I'm not happy here. I'm not satisfied. I believe that if I would discover your purpose, if you would reveal that to me, then if I would commit my life to it, then that would bring me fulfillment. So what is our purpose? What is my purpose? What are we here to do? Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7 it reads, bring my sons from afar and my daughters 
from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, whom I created for my glory. So God created us for his glory. We were made to glorify God. We were made to magnify him. We were made to make much of him. John Piper, one of my favorite authors, says, glorifying God means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. Are my thoughts, are my actions, is my attitude, do all these things reflect God? Do all these things make much of him? Am I living for my own self-aggrandizement? Or am I living to glorify God, to magnify him, and to point people to him? Do my thoughts point to God? Do my actions, the words that come out of my mouth, do they glorify God? Because that's what I was created to do. I was created to glorify him, to magnify him. But in, in light of all that, though, in light of my identity, I was created by God in his own image, and I know what my purpose is in light of my purpose, which is to glorify God. Now, the, the underlying emptiness, the sense of dissatisfaction, uh, that longing that I had for something more, does glorifying God meet that longing? Does that satisfy me? How so? Not only was I struggling with my identity, my purpose, but... Does that bring me fulfillment? If God says he created me in his own image, he gave me a purpose, which is to glorify him, but does that satisfy me? And one thing about our, our purpose, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We know our purpose. May our drinking, our eating, whatever we do, glorify God, bring glory to his name. But does that satisfy? I want you to look with me in John 6, chapter 6, verses 25 and 35. It reads, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must, what must we do to do the works God requires then? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Because our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, Jesus was trying to get their attention, attention away from their physical hunger, their physical need, to something much more fundamental to their, what they truly needed. What they truly needed was not manna, was that the physical bread. They needed the bread of life, the true bread of life, which is Christ Jesus himself. The bread that truly satisfies, the bread that if we eat of, that if we would come to and believe in, we would never be hungry again, nor will we be thirsty again. And so I understood here that Jesus is the true satisfaction of our lives. He's the one who truly meets that longing that all of us have here. We're all longing for something more. There's got to be something more than just our career, than just our family, than just our job, than just our education. There's got to be something more. And Jesus is the only one, God is the only one who fills that need, who brings us that sense of fulfillment that we're all after. So are we hungry this morning for more? And I understand that our pastors have been going through a series talking about leaving mediocrity behind. And are we longing for something more? Deep within us, do we feel that something keep telling us that there's got to be more than this? We were created for more than going through the motion, than being a good church man, a good church woman, than being a good Christian, than being a good provider. Are we longing for something more? Are we longing for God, the ultimate source of satisfaction, the ultimate source of fulfillment? So all these years, I knew I wanted to return to Haiti. I wanted to do this and, and do that. But was I satisfied? Did I meet the true source of my fulfillment? Did I understand that God himself is the one who truly satisfies? Not what I do, not where I go, but he himself has given himself to me. And so my purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose collectively is to glorify God, magnify him, bring glory to his name, make much of him. When we do so, he brings us satisfaction. In doing so, we're satisfied, we're fulfilled. And the psalmist here understood this really well when he wrote in Psalm 27, for one thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. To David, nothing else mattered here. I just want to dwell in the house of God. I just want to sit at his feet. I just want to just contemplate him and gaze on his beauty forever. I don't want to leave. Is that us today, 
Have we, have we had those moments where we just sit with God and don't want to leave because he's all that matters. He's all that satisfies us. Just want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on his beauty and to seek him in his temple. In Psalm 16, 11, he wrote, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If we're looking for satisfaction, if we're looking for true fulfillment, it's right here. God is the true source of our satisfaction, of our fulfillment. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do we long to gaze at his beauty today? Deep within, that's what we're longing for. We're longing to connect with God, the creator of the universe, the maker of all things, the lover of our soul. So our identity is based on this, that God created us. And not only did he create us, he created us in his own image. It's each of us here intrinsically valuable. We all have value because we were created in the very image of the living God. And our purpose is to glorify him and rejoice in him, delight in him forever. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back on and... And as I do so, uh, let, let me read you one of my favorite quotes here over these past couple of weeks. It's a salvation is not good news if it only saves from hell, but not for God. Forgiveness is not good news if it only saves from guilt and doesn't open the way to God. Justification is not good news if it only makes us legally acceptable to God, but doesn't bring fellowship with God. Redemption is not good news if it only liberates us from bondage, but doesn't bring us to God. Adoption is not good news if it only puts us in the Father's family, but not in his arms. God is what we long for. The satisfaction that we're after. We know it deep within our soul. We're longing for something. And we're longing for him. We were wired that way. We were designed and created that way to connect with our heavenly father because that is where we find true satisfaction. We find fulfillment. Nothing else satisfies. Nothing else fulfills but God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Yahweh God, creator of the ends of the earth, the creator of the universe, the lover of our soul, 
God, we're, we're honored and humbled that you created us in your image. And that you have called us into your family. If we have put our trust in Jesus, if we have believed in his name, if we have confessed with our mouth that you raised them from the dead, then we are saved and you have called us, you call us sons and daughters. And Father, we thank you for creating us with a purpose, which is to glorify you, to bring glory to your name, to magnify you. And in doing so, we thank you that you bring us satisfaction. Father, we pray that we meet you today. We understand that deep within we're longing for you. We're longing for the true source of satisfaction. We're longing to connect with our Heavenly Father. Father, we pray that you meet us where we are today. We pray that you be glorified in this place, O oh God. That you stir hearts and incline hearts and minds to you. That you open the eyes of our hearts. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.